Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the School of Nursing podcast. We are back for episode number six. Uh, I know that it's been a while since we've been on here, so I'm really excited to be back and talk with our new guest today. So uh, my name is Lisa. I will be hosting this podcast today. I am a nursing instructor um, at a Central Alberta uh, Institute with a BSCN degree. So that's where I'm coming from. Um, my guest that I have today, uh, her name is Rebecca Traptow. She is a doula, a full spectrum doula in Central Alberta. And I'm so excited to have her here today. Uh, we are going to talk about her role as a doula, uh, how she supports her clients, and then we're going to bridge a little bit into uh, interprofessional collaboration and why it's important for our patients and clients and how it can impact their health outcomes. So thank you for joining us and welcome, yeah. Rebecca. Yes, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yes. Like, yeah, you know how excited <laughs> I am to be here. <laughs> well, like I said, I think it's really important for students um, nursing students to hear how other, uh, you know, the other members of the interdisciplinary team can yeah. really impact our client care and why it's beneficial for them. So thank you so much yeah, for so taking the time to do this. Um, so I don't know, do you want to just start off and tell us a little bit about your role and your training as sure. a doula? Yeah, so um, I mean, I'll start with my training. So I trained as a full spectrum doula with, uh, what are they called, Babo Mia. Um, <laughs> they're a doula training organization out of Toronto. So um, my training was unique in that it was online, mm -hmm. uh, but it was also four months long. So most doula trainings are like a weekend or like, I think it's a total of like eight hours. Um, and my training was four months of uh, two hour courses of that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, and then to, in order to get certified, you have a two year practicum. So you have to attend a certain amount of births yada 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 um so and in that training being that it was full spectrum i covered everything from fertility to um the postpartum period mm -hmm. and um, pregnancy birth and all of that and yeah so as a doula my role is a non-medical one so very important to specify we do not as doulas do anything medical that is not within we don't even really have a scope because it's not we're not medical professionals but um, what we could say was our scope is more um, emotional educational and physical support of our we call them clients um, so not patients to us patients to you um, in the in fertility pregnancy birth and postpartum so that can look like um, educating them helping them find those evidence-based resources mm -hmm. um, things when they have questions which they inevitably do about their pregnancy or their journey and um, making sure they're getting the evidence-based information mm -hmm. so they're not like I always say um, uh, avoid Google and ask your doula because <laughs> Google will tell you you're not having a baby in fact you're dying and so <laughs> it'll tell you pretty much anything you want to hear anything except the answer is essentially <laughs> what you'll get on Google so I, that's why I always tell my clients ask me um, if you want to do a quick Google search go for it but like maybe ask me first because I can direct your Google search <laughs> sure. a little bit uh, and then there's the um, the emotional support like and if you've ever been pregnant or had kids, like, you know, like, not only just hormonally, but, like, there are a lot of things that are going on and that, that you might need maybe someone besides your mom to hear um, or to support you through emotionally. So we do a lot of that. And then the physical support side is it depends on the area. So in fertility, it might look like attending um, a procedure or just coming for coffee and chatting. Um, in the birth space, the most common thing that people will think of when they think mm -hmm. of a doula is we show up to the hospital or to your house and we we support <laughs> you physically um, with pain management um, with helping labor progress um, smoothly and um, well I suppose and then um, in the postpartum period uh, being a postpartum doula I 
we'll come and I will help you with your baby, with breastfeeding and with um, other kids if you have them, your recovery, making sure that everything is going okay, letting you know when you should call a doctor or maybe you should go to ER, like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Wow, that really is such a, a broad scope that you have in terms of like that pre- pre- and postpartum stages. Mm -hmm. And what a wonderful thing to be able to support your clients through all of those stages as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So do you normally attend births from home, like births at home, or Mm -hmm. do you normally, like, like, do you go to the hospital more than you go to home or vice versa? Uh, so me personally, I attend almost almost exclusively hospital births. Um, my clients tend to be more in the anxious spectrum so uh, or are high risk, so we end up definitely birthing at the hospital. Um, but I've attended hosp- uh, home births, mm-hmm. and uh, it really just depends on the doula, I think, mm-hmm. just what their clients decide to do. So, so how would somebody, <clears throat> like, I, you know, I'm just thinking when I had kids, what would have been a good idea for me? Like, like when would it have been a good idea to contact you? Oh, that is a very good question. I get that question all the time. <laughs> um, it depends on your, um, I want to say anxiety level, but like, mm-hmm. what, how much support do you want? Um, I've had clients hire me, they pee on a stick and call me. And actually, that's a lot of my clients. Most of my clients will be on a stick. I'm like their second phone call after their husband or their partner or whoever. Uh, and then I'll have other clients that will hire me week 35 because they're like, it depends if you want support. Um, some clients want to just, will you attend my birth? Help me with the pain management. Help me with helping things progress. Suggestions, support my partner. Tell him when to get out of here, when to get ice. I do a lot of that. Like catch him if he faints. I've caught a couple fainting partners. Um and others are like, you know what, I have no idea about pregnancy. I have no idea what I'm doing. A lot of first-time um, parents, they, they're not sure how to go about even finding the education or information that they feel they need. So I'm, uh, it's, have uh, you ever watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Yes. <laughs> okay, so there's an episode with a doula in it, and they talk about um, when somebody asks, oh, what does a doula do? And they're like, well, to put it shortly, uh, a doula is a vaginal Gandalf. <laughs> So you can imagine, <laughs> I'm a guide you through your pregnancy, birth, and your wizard. Yes, I'm. Yes, the vaginal wizard. I love that. I need a name tag. <laughs> that's, 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 vaginal wizard. Do like a vaginal, vaginal wizard. wizard. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. that's awesome. Yeah. So when you um, talk about, like, I know that you have training, like you said, in multiple different areas. Yep. Um, one of the things that drew me to want to talk to you is that I know that you have experience working with diverse families. So can you just shed some light on what that actually Actually looks like with yeah. diverse families yeah so um, diverse families can look like a lot of things I think a lot of, even so more now in, in 2022 uh, we have it's more than just the nuclear family right so we've got um, same-sex couples we've got um, adoption and we've got uh, um, surrogacy and um, families that maybe they're how's the best way to put it um, they have unique uh, family services needs that may or may not influence their birthing experience. So, um, uh, for example, I work with women in the um, pregnancy care center and the maternity home there, and their needs, because their circumstances in their lives don't look necessarily like um, somebody, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Their socioeconomic standing is different and Mm -hmm. isn't, um, and that comes with considerations that need to be made for their um, for their birth so um, a lot of the time that looks like education it's a lot education and um, emotional support for those two because birth physiologically birth happens 
mm-hmm. and it pretty much happens. It, it doesn't happen the same for everybody, but physiologically, not, not much is going to change. Sometimes we see drug addiction, sometimes we mm-hmm. see um, physical disability or that kind of thing, um, but most of the time it does come down to education and helping them, helping them to prepare for mm-hmm. um, what's not might not look the same for them. Mm-hmm. It might not be the same experience for them. Um, with adoption, it's sometimes very exciting. Sometimes it's, mm-hmm. it's this family. Um, there's a you've got on one hand. I work with both families, so you work with the family who's anticipating the birth of their baby. Um, that probably describes surrogacy a little bit better. But um, and then the family who's they're still going through pregnancy. Mm-hmm. They're still dealing with the hormones. They're, they still have to do birth, um, but they will not be going home with a baby. So there's things like, um, so it's, it comes down to language a lot of the time. Like we, um, as a provider, walking into a diverse family birth, I might not use words like mother or mom or parent even. Um, I would say, you know, so who's having the baby? Who's, you know, um, uh, who's your support person, not who's dad, or hey dad, are you going to cut the cord, that kind of thing. Things we don't really think about. Um, yeah, that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and and it's little things, and, and they might correct you, and families are like, I've never had a really bad experience where they were super offended or, or that really impacted them that much, but mm-hmm. um, I think making it a really important uh, piece of supporting people in the birth space is helping them to feel as comfortable and safe Mm-hmm. in that space and considered and if you if people are always referring to you as mom you're birthing the baby but that's not your baby or it is your baby and you're struggling with um giving up your baby or um for very good reasons the reason is almost irrelevant but just to consider what they might be feeling mm-hmm. about how we refer to them um that kind of thing oh man that's so interesting and really i think you've touched on so many good points about patient-centered care and family-centered care and just recognizing that families do look very different right and that is a beautiful thing and being able to support them in whatever aspect that they need supported in so do you when your clients contact you how do you determine what their needs are going to be like do you have mm-hmm. a, a process that you go through do you yeah and what does that look like yeah so um, uh, from initial contact like they'll either email me call me um, ask if I'm available for their due date if I am then we do a consult so that is mainly just a hey tell me about yourself tell me about your journey tell me about what you say your support needs are um, I try not to think of it as my job to figure out their support needs because I'm I might be a vaginal wizard but I am not a mind reader so I need you to tell me what you think you need from me um, and and that is valid and I'm gonna take that at face mm-hmm. value if you say you don't need me to attend your birth all right cool I will just educate and support you emotionally um, so we'll do that consult if I feel the client is a good fit um, because another really important piece of patient care is that connection especially in intimate spaces like the birth space that that personal connection I have with my clients um, I don't have to like my my barista at Starbucks although I like all of them they bring me my coffee um, <laughs> but I, I really would hate to be in a birth space in an intimate setting with somebody who we don't connect well and because right. then that that put, creates barriers to me being able to support them fully right. um, and, and and in an unbiased manner. Right. So if we're a good fit, then I send them an intake package, which includes things like their medical information, um, relevant medical information. I don't need an entire mm-hmm. medical history. Um, and the reason I ask for that is because, um, as you know, as nurses, like they're 
your medical history matters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't lie to me about, yeah. <laughs> about things that might be happening. Um, and that just allows me to support them um, as best I can. If I know um, I've had clients with MS, I've had clients with um, uh, who have a history of miscarriage or who have some other type of um, illness or allergies or things like that. Like it just influences how the things I'm going to suggest um, even things like uh, being an athlete, mm-hmm. um, that Im- that influences how your body is built and how it's like gonna be, how it's gonna be in birth. So it just allows me to give them the best support. And then, um, yeah, that's basically the intake process. <laughs> that is so cool. Oh my goodness. And really, it's it's true. Like everybody's coming from a different place and different mm-hmm. bodies and different circumstances and different families yeah. and things like that, right? So, like you said, I think. And the same as when we as nurses have patients, one of the biggest things that we do is education mm-hmm. and help to empower them so that they can make choices yes. that are appropriate for yes. them, right? That mm-hmm. we can be a partner in whatever they want to do, that we're not telling them what to do, mm-hmm. but we're just following Absolutely. their lead and, and letting yeah. them guide us with their medical care. Absolutely. Oh, that is amazing. All right, so what I would like to ask you about now is you mentioned um, being emotionally supportive. You mentioned uh, assisting with pain control. So can you just touch and expand a little bit on that and how you do that in your role? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have this framework in my head of how I'm going to answer this question. And I'm like, I'm I'm loving it. So um, as birth workers, as doulas, our main concern as it pertains to pain, we know there's going to be pain, um, but our main concern is to remove fear and to prevent pain from becoming suffering. Uh, because we know there's a line between when in birth, childbirth, pain is necessary, it's not necessarily necessary, I won't say necessary, but it's normal. It's, it's normal. Yep, exactly. It's um, and But when it becomes suffering, that's when we start to see birth trauma and we don't want to see suffering. Um, The goal isn't necessarily to have a pain-free birth. It's to be able to cope well with the pain in childbirth. So what I, as technique I specifically use um, when it comes to, or as it relates to um, uh, measuring pain, you are familiar with the zero to 10. Um, What's your pain like zero to 10? Um, I use a second scale. I use the coping scale, and I, I always teach it to my clients in hand in hand with the pain scale. Be, and the the coping scale it goes backwards, so it goes from ten to zero. So ten being you're coping fine, no need to cope. Actually, no need to cope because I'm not I'm doing just fine. Um, and then zero or one being I I'm struggling. I cannot cope even with a lot of help, even with what we're doing right now. I need something else. So. What I tell my clients is you need to, um, you could be a seven on the pain scale mm-hmm. and a, and a, like a nine on the coping scale. That does not mean you, so we don't, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. Um, but when we start to see that that coping scale go down um, and my clients start to say, listen, I'm coping at a four right now. So whatever we're doing, it's not working. It's not working. They could still be only a, they could be a four on the pain scale and they're not coping well. So I try, the first thing I try to give my clients the language around that um, to be able to communicate effectively in labor when they've got other things <laughs> to worry about, um, uh, effective ways to communicate their pain so they know they're heard and understood. And then um, from there, we can start to suggest things like um, if my client's goal is to have a, a medical pain management free birth, um, we will do, we'll run the gamut of um, uh, hydrotherapy. I have a TENS machine um, that I use. I love it so much. My clients love it so much. Um, and if you're not familiar with what it does, it, I don't actually remember what the acronym is. Sorry, um, 
a breather. I know what a TENS machine is because they use them at like the physiotherapist's office. And they use ones yeah. at the physiotherapist's office. These ones are specifically for labor. They're oh. a little bit different. Um, so yeah, I get that question from clients all the time. They're yeah. like, can I like, jo- oh yeah, we have one. It's like a doctor, doctor so-and-so has this uh, TENS machine. I'm like, don't use that. That's not going to, it's, <laughs> don't do that. Um, there's no training required to use one, um, but it comes with a little booklet on like yeah. how to use it. You can use it for period pain. You can use it for like for headaches like it's great I that's love so it. cool yeah um cannot use it in the shower <laughs> or in the tub I risk of electric yes <laughs> okay. exactly that would not be a good outcome I wouldn't appreciate that very much uh, so I always specify um but uh and then so and you know changing positions counter pressure yeah. um pressure points acupressure that kind of thing um I trained in those techniques so they did take a lot of practice um, I try to get like partners to do them as much as I can. Um, every once in a while, I'll have a nurse jump in. It's like, yeah, I'll squeeze here, and you get a, get that thing over there. And those are the, the funnest bricks ever. Um, but if those things stop working and we're still not coping very well, um, uh, I kind of it kind of it's another scale. We go to okay, have a laughing gas. That's um, about as close to non-medical as we can get. It is medical, but if you take it away from your mouth, it's out of your system, and you. Mm-hmm. Um, you're pre- you might not feel very great for like 30 seconds, but it's out of your system and you don't have to right. let it run through your system like, for example, narcotics, right. which would be the next step up. Now, narcotics have a short half-life, so they work, but you can only have so many doses and they only work for like an hour or two. You have two on the long end if you're lucky. Yeah. So um, depending on how my client feels about narcotics, we either jump right to an epidural if they've consent and if they, they're open to yeah, that. If they're yeah. open to that. If not, then we keep trying everything else. Um, I like to think of narcotics and like like uh, morphine, fentanyl, that kind of thing as a bridge to an epidural. Um, so, and along the way we're assessing, okay, how close are we to this baby coming, right? Um, I've had clients be like, oh, you know what, I'm ready for that epidural. And they're like, okay, let's do a check just to see where we're at and then we'll get, we'll call the anesthesiologist and all that and they're like 10 centimeters and then their body starts pushing and that baby's born 30 minutes later. So, um, but if, for example, they're four centimeters and they're not coping well, we know yeah. we potentially could have a, a long way to go get, um, then we can start looking at, okay, listen, let's maybe get the epidural. Mm-hmm. You can rest, you can sleep. Um, it's a lot of active helping them to decide how they're coping and what they can do to cope better. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot, And paired with that emotional support, you're not alone, we're here to help, um, you're not in danger, you are safe, that kind of thing. Um, Because the other component to that is the fear, tension, pain cycle. And I love it so much. It's it's sciencey, but it's not. It's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. Like, so if you're afraid, that's why we do so much work prenatally with overcoming your fear of birth and your specifically the fear of pain in childbirth. um, Because the fear causes you to have tension in your body and the tension in your body causes more pain, which then in, which then reinforces the fear. So um, no matter how much work we do on that prenatally, sometimes in the birth space, now we're experiencing it. Now we're like, especially first time parents, they had no idea what to expect, yeah. right? So um, just working with them in the birth space, you know what, you're safe. I know this sucks. Affirmation, um, never telling them that they're not experiencing what they are, you know, never saying, oh, it's not that bad. A list of things you never say to a Someone who's giving birth. Yes, I've I have my doula eye, like I call it, my, my doula glare um, is getting really good for for partners, <laughs> and we have that relationship. So I would never glare at somebody I don't know, but <laughs> but sometimes the partners they talk nervously and they say things that I'm like, 
You know what? We don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> like TikTok. Uh, 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 uh. That's all I can think of right now. That's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, and that's that's a way to support them, right? Mm-hmm. They they don't know, and I don't want them to um, to. Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? I, I don't want them to, not that they're going to damage their relationship, mm-hmm. but this is supposed to be a lovely experience for them as well. And I want, so I, overall, I want everybody to be right. coping well. And partners might not be experiencing pain, um, but watching their partner experience pain is difficult. So it's kind of this big mishmash right. of reading the room and reading who's coping well and who's not and what can, right. how can we make this better so that everyone's experience um, is a good one, regardless right. of the outcome. So do you do you often or ever, and I'm I'm assuming you do, which is why I'm asking this. But do you often have people who go into birth with a certain plan, where it changes drastically, even based on like how mom is doing, how baby's doing, um, or they literally just get in there and change to their mind. Yes. And how do you? How do you support that and how do you cope with that? Like, is it the type of thing where you say, no, you made it explicit that this was your birth plan? Never. Or do you just run, go with the flow? Never. You know. If they change their mind, they change they their change mind. They change their mind. Um, so the first thing I do is prenatally explain to them that a birth plan is more of a birth wish list. And okay. it's more of a, it's the, the, the effectiveness of a birth plan isn't that it's a plan, it's that it's the education. So when we create that birth plan, I'm educating you on your choices because we know that if you don't have, if you don't know your options, you don't have any. So I give them all their options. They pick their things that they wish and that they would like and that that's the the that's plan. The ideal. Yeah, that's the ideal. Yeah. But in that birth space, I always tell them, listen, this could change for any number of reasons. And if it does, you already know your options, though. So you can already make an informed decision. And I will support you in that moment to make the informed decision. Now, what it often, the most uh, common thing that we'll see is the epidural being not the plan and then ending up being like, well, we needed one and we would like one now. Um, and I've seen it go both ways, actually. So I had one client who said explicitly, uh, do not want an epidural. Don't even talk to me about it, which is, oh, I get that a lot. And I'm like, all right, I won't breathe a word of it. I will suggest standing on your head before I will mention that epidural <laughs> to you, um, if that's what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, some of my clients, we have a code word, and they're like, if I say pineapples, you chase that anesthesiologist down, and I will. I will run to that anesthesiologist. Actually, that's not my job. That's what nurses do. <laughs> <laughs> I will motion to the nurse. Yes. Go around <laughs> Please. and get them. Yeah. Yeah. I will ask very nicely. <laughs> um, but anyway, she decided, um, she was like, oh, man, I would. I, I think I would like the epidural pineapples. Let, just can we, can we get the anesthesiologist? And I was like, absolutely. So my role really is just to support what they want in that moment. If they change their mind, they change their mind. It was funny though, because we were, so we were laboring on the toilet, the dilation station, as I like to call it. And cause that's where all the work happens. Yeah. I don't know what it is. It's just the position, their hips and it's magic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. See, I'm a wizard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, she got her second one. So she went through transition and after transition, that's when they get this like big, like boost of energy and they're like I'm ready I can do this like they were feeling defeated and now they're like ready to run another marathon and she looks at me the nurse comes back with this look on her face and I know the look on her face is like anesthesiologist isn't coming is he because like, <laughs> oh, no. he had just gone into a section so that means that it's like three to four hours before that guy's out and they only it was COVID so there's like there's one on the unit so you gotta wait and uh 
she looks at her. She's like, so I'm really sorry. And she looks, she was so sorry. She's like, I, we, he's going to be four hours on the short end. So I'm so sorry. We can get you something else. And she's like, you know what? Nope, that's okay. I don't need it. I think I'm okay. Never mind. Don't even tell him to come. And so I was like, oh, that's, so I've seen it flip-flop back and forth. And then I've had people go in who are like set on, they want the epidural the second they're admitted. Yeah. They're like, give it to me right now. And then um, I almost think it's an internal thing where they're like, you know what? Um, I'm just going to push myself a little bit more. I'm just going to cope a little. I'm still coping. I think I'm, and they surprise mm-hmm. themselves with how well they're coping. And then they get to the end and they're like, oh, I didn't even have an epidural. And I, those are my favorite. Not because it was unmedicated, but because yeah. they felt confident and safe and comfortable um, enough to make that decision. And that's like, comes first full circle, yeah. right? Like that, it's all about their, how they're feeling and how, what they want and making sure that they feel seen and heard and supported regardless of whether their birth plan just went pear-shaped. Oh man, I just think that's so cool. And like, like I said, just being able to be flexible enough with what you're doing. Yeah. And like you said, the education prior, just to know, I remember when I went in to have my kids and the nurses always ask during the pre-admission, what's your birth plan? And I think every single time I said to have (laughs) Have a baby. baby. (laughs) And like, other than that, I was like, you know, I'm going to do the best I can. Yeah. Ideally this baby comes out. But if I need an epidural, I need an epidural. And you know, it just kind of left it really open like that. I was like, well, my plan is to push. I don't know. Like that's. That's pretty much all I got <laughs> um, to walk out of the hospital. That's ideal. Yeah. So I was like, not, not to be injured in any sort of way. That would be good. But, you know, that, that's the tough part is that you don't have a lot of control over what's going on. So, yeah, the control piece. And especially that's really interesting you say that because through the pandemic, um, what we saw, what we saw was patients and clients same one same mm-hmm. um panicking with it because they they lost a level of control and then doulas not being allowed in the hospital for good reason like there's mm-hmm. i don't know some of the reasons weren't so great but it doesn't matter it's over yeah <laughs> um was they were they just lost their advocacy um they lost well they lost the people who were empowering to m- them to make those decisions who they already felt safe and comfortable with mm-hmm. um and so they just felt more and more out of control and so we did see c-sections go up we saw induction rates go way up like our C-section rate in Red Deer, I don't, I mean, obviously you're quoting me on this, but like, <laughs> I think it's like 35%. This is not testable content. This, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can Google the statistic. You guys will know where to find that. Um, but I think it's like 30, it's in the 30%. Wow. And, and we know that 50, only 15% of sections save lives. So the other 15%, that's evidence-based. Are like unnecessary. That's, they're unnecessary. Yeah. For un- That doesn't always mean there was a bad C-section outcome. It just means it wasn't a necessary section. Right. And, and we... Um, in the medical field, what from my what I understand is we should be trying really hard to prevent and uh, and avoid that primary C-section. Those because, unnecessary. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, one of the things that doulas do is we provide that comfort that and that ease for clients that um, some that gets them over that barrier of that that tension and pain. So. Um, we're avoiding like they like just exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Like we're ex- avoiding mm-hmm. um, just pushing, you know, pushing for nine hours and then needing a section. And like um, not all the time, doulas can't control outcomes, but we can. We provide a level of care right. that um, increases their chances of having a uh, of having a, a vaginal birth, mm-hmm. which is ideal for them. We want that. Right. So good patient outcomes, and even just in the mental health space. 
Right. Like they could have a section and feel like they made every decision along the way and that they were supported and they didn't feel like birth was happening to them rather than they are birthing their baby. Uh, and they'll, they'll say it was the best birth of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've seen, I've seen births all along the whole spectrum. So, <laughs> so what would you like, how would you handle it if a uh, client and their spouse or their partner mm-hmm. were on different pages. Like, how do you, right? Because uh, really, in, in my brain, really the one that you're supporting yep. is the client, right? Is the one that's actually delivering the baby. But just looking at that holistically, yeah. that oh, there still is a large importance on their family and their family support. So yeah. how would you handle that if there was a difference? Because we do, yeah. I mean, like, I've, I've never been a maternity nurse, but mm-hmm. we see we see differences like that on the medical unit that I work Absolutely. on all the time, right? Where the patient wants one thing and, you know, the, the daughter or the son or the spouse mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. wants something different for them. Definitely. So how do you manage that when you're, when there's yeah. a difference there? Well, so it kind of goes back to prenatal. Like we, I personally will do three to four meetings with my clients before their birth. Um, and I do that on purpose. Some doulas do one or two. Some doulas will do one. Some doulas will just show up to your birth. It doesn't like, doesn't matter how anybody do, runs their own practice. But for me, how I handle that is I try to get us all on the same page on in the first place. Um, no, no, you don't have to be happy about it. Like, uh, but at the end of the day, for partner specifically, you're not birthing this baby. And um, you are 50% of the equation. I'm supporting them just as much as I'm supporting um, the birthing person. Often what I find is it comes down to fear um, or misunderstanding. Or they, don't, they're, they want a specific thing because they know and understand it. They have all the information about that. They're comfortable with that. But they, so I try to highlight the other options and really do the education with them. Like, listen, an epidural, yeah, it's a needle in the spine. We don't like... We don't particularly like the idea of that. That sounds really scary to you. How, like, what are your feelings around that? And why, why are you adamant that she not have one? Um, sometimes it's a religious thing, like with blood transfusions. Sometimes there's, they have this, partners have just as many hopes and dreams for births as the birthing person does. So I've tried to get to the bottom of those things. And I understand like in a hospital setting, sometimes there isn't time for that, which is why we do it prenatally. Um, but if it were to happen in the birth space that for some odd reason we had not talked about the specific thing, mm-hmm. um, I always take it down to facts. Um, I can't change your, I cannot change your feelings because feelings are mm-hmm. um, subjective and they they they're not rooted in rationale. So um, validate their feelings, help them feel heard. Often when they are they're heard and they feel validated, um, they might not like the decision but they're not going to it's not going to be traumatic for them mm-hmm. um, or they're they're gonna they're gonna be more willing to support it versus mm-hmm. um, not support it mm-hmm. oh man that's like I said that's that's wonderful I think I think like I said and, and there are circumstances that I've been in in the hospital as well where the patient and the family member do not agree and ultimately mm. it's like it has to come down to that patient-centered care while supporting the family members, like you said, and and helping them to understand. I mean, for Pete's sakes, we've had people who are still fully capable of making their own decisions to go home, say, Mm -hmm. on discharge. The family knows that that's not safe. They know that there's going to be a quick readmission, but there's really nothing that we can do about that. And if that's the patient's wishes, it's how do we support the patient? How do we support Mm -hmm. their family? in that transition so that they can go home and be safe and hopefully be successful. Yeah, yeah like that, ideally. Definitely, that informed choice. Yes. Um, and I always tell my clients, I'm like, because they always worry, they're like, what if I make the wrong decision? Yeah. Uh, and I tell them, listen, I've never met a parent who when given all of the information and when spoken to 
like as an adult and um, as a competent human being, mm-hmm. um, I've never seen a parent make the wrong decision. Mm-hmm. Um, you're making the decision for your family, what's going to work for your family and, and what you're feeling safe and comfortable with. Your intuition matters. Um, I see that a lot with, with sections. The decision, depending on if it's an emergency or a crash section, mm-hmm. crash section changes things because a crash section is the... We don't got time. We got to get you in and get that's baby the out trauma, now. Yep. Right? That's yep. where the trauma. Yeah, we not we we put you out for that. Like those are the ones where we yeah. put you to sleep. Um, so, um, but with an emergency section, what I always tell them when we're talking about that specifically and making that decision, I let them know you have time in an emer- even in an emergency section. There is an amount of time that you have to to first of all decide, but also to to feel. Um, supported. Like we're not just going to be wheeling you off. Mm-hmm, bye. Um, and you you can ask as many questions as you'd like. It might be very, very necessary, but we're going to help you understand. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not coercing anybody um, as well. And when I say we, I'm not a medical professional, so it's actually mostly, most of the time it's the doctors and nurses that are doing the education, like mm-hmm. that on the spot. Okay, so our plan has changed. This is why. This is the information. I, I do a little bit of translating <laughs> where I'm like, that's what this word means. Or or my clients will often look at me mm-hmm. and, and, at, and like they're looking for my opinion not my job to make it to give an opinion yeah um it's i'm like this is you this is all you this is your decision you are capable of making that decision and even if the outcome isn't good um they made the decision and they often that's the piece that prevents the trauma is that they were empowered to make the decision themselves um yeah. That's so interesting, like when you say it like that, because really, I think as a nurse, you're thinking you don't have an option. If we are getting this mm-hmm. baby out, mm-hmm. it needs to be now, it needs to be done this way because yeah. we want to keep this baby healthy and alive. Absolutely. And keep mom okay and, and or, you know, the laboring yeah. person yeah. okay. Um, but that's, I, I like that idea of just mm-hmm. giving them that space to say, look like this is the outcome either way mm-hmm. and you get to choose what the outcome is going to be either yeah. way so if you are choosing not to go through with this section or not whatever the case is mm-hmm. yeah this is the yeah letting them know uh, we talk about brain so it's an acronym we, use, uh, we talk about the benefits the risks alternatives intuition and nothing so in a in an emergency c-section situation um we're gonna go through it quickly <laughs> yeah. but like chop chop right but, yep. right yeah exactly <laughs> but we're gonna talk about the benefits okay the benefits that baby's coming out now um yeah. congratulations Congratulations! You get to, like you're excited. You you're excited. Yeah. You're gonna have your baby. Um, the benefits are baby is not going to uh, have these struggles with their B cells anymore. We're not gonna, mm-hmm. you know, we're not risking deoxygenation. Like we're getting baby out. Baby will be here. Um, Earthside. The the risks are well. It's major surgery, so you know there's always the chance that something goes sideways. Um, you could baby could You'll still have yeah. Um, in an emergency section, they just do a spinal. So oh, okay. yeah. So cool. they don't they don't an emergency section. You you're awake for the whole thing and so um your partner is there you oh, have your God, own okay. nurse like they are it's it's not as I won't say it's not as scary as it sounds because for some people that sounds absolutely horrifying um but it's not like a crash section where they're like or on tv when right. somebody goes for a section and they put them right under and yeah and and it's always like they're trying to ask questions and they're trying to um to, to make sense of what's going on and the doctors and nurses in t- on tv yes are putting a mask over their face and yes. tying their arms down and 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 some of those things are accurate like you do have to have your arms strapped down but um for safety <laughs> yeah. reasons um but it's it's really not that intense and so have making sure that the clients and the patients are they understand what's happening to them right um 
even just, I find even just giving them, letting them know, listen, what I'm seeing on this monitor is your baby's heart rate is not climbing again after your contractions. That means they're losing oxygen to their brain and it's not, and that's not really good. We still have, if you're six centimeters, you might still have hours to go. It's okay right now, mm-hmm. but, but it could, baby's hearts, they're so small. They, yeah. they are fine until they're not, you know, in peds, I don't know, like if there are any peds nurse listen, list, peds nurses listening, well, I'll try to say that 10 times fast. Um, <laughs> they, you know that children are fine until they're not. They, and, and they go sideways very, very fast. So I've never known a, a parent to be given that information and be like, listen, your baby's not doing well, or you're not particularly doing well. It would benefit you to get this baby out right now. I've never known them to make the wrong decision or to say, no, absolutely not. I'm dead set on this. Um, sometimes they wait a little bit longer, but I've never seen them absolutely refuse. Mm-hmm. Um, the alternatives, sometimes there's things we haven't tried, and I've actually never seen uh, a cesarean be offered unless we've tried everything. Mm-hmm. It happens. It does happen. We know because lots mm-hmm. of cesareans are unnecessary. Um, but what are the all other options? Do you have any? Like, yeah, let's talk about it. We've already actually talked about it prenatally. Um, and then what's your intuition? And that's that's the piece that's not medical and that um, we have to allow parents to have. What do you think? Um, nine times, 99.9% of the time, the parent's like, you know what, I think it's best if we just get baby yeah. out now. Uh, and then um, what if we do nothing, which is like in an emergency C-section situation, we have some time. So what if we wait an hour and see how things are going? This is what we're seeing. This is what we're predicting might happen. If that happens, then the situation is going to be more serious. What do you want to do? Some, and if, if it's irrelevant and we can give them the hour, it often that just makes the difference. Yeah. Even though it might be medically, maybe we like to do, we want yes. the baby out now. It's going to be hot. Best outcome is right now. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes relinquishing a little bit of that uh, time really to give them the space to make the decision themselves. Yeah. Oh man, that's so fascinating. So let's bridge this over. You've talked a yeah. lot about your role with the nurses and how mm-hmm. you kind of collaborate together and things like that. So um, the second part of this conversation that we would like to touch on is the importance of interprofessional collaboration. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, and how <clears throat> that impacts our patient care. So based on research, based on scholarly evidence, we know that patients can have a significantly uh, significantly higher outcomes and um, I guess better outcomes when the interdisciplinary team works together and when we're able to collaborate. So what I'm going to do quick is just touch on, for those of you listening, um, this is something that generally you'll cover in your fourth year of nursing. You talk about interprofessional collaboration. Um, so what it is, it's the process of developing and maintaining effective interpersonal working relationships with learners, practitioners, patients, clients, families, and communities to enable optimal health outcomes. So the elements of this collaboration include respect, trust, shared decision-making, and partnerships. So one of the most important parts um, of interprofessional collaboration is the ability to clarify roles um, in order to work together, uh, kind of maintain those boundaries, and be aware of Um, be aware of, I guess, where one role begins and the other ends and vice versa. So um, I guess the importance of that is that the learners practitioners are understanding their own role, the role of others, and that they can really use that knowledge to achieve patient, client, family, and community goals. Um, So when we are able to properly articulate our roles, 
um, we really are just listening to the other person. We're recognizing mm-hmm. the skills that they have, the knowledge that they have, and how we can how we can collaborate together um, to determine whose role is best suited for what the patient or client needs at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're looking at the appropriate use of each practitioner in order to um, enhance those patient outcomes. So um, all of that information, and I will post this in the podcast description, um, is from the National Framework of Interprofessional uh, Competency. And it comes from um, CIHC, which is Canadian Interprofessional Health Collaborative. So I will, like I said, I'll link that in there. So if anybody wants to take a look at that framework, go ahead. Um, So Rebecca, what I would like to know is how, where does your role begin and, and then where does mm-hmm. the nurse's role begin, right? Because I Definitely. think this is very applicable to your work mm-hmm. setting mm-hmm. Um, and how and how we as nurses can understand a little bit better how to, um, how to apply that interprofessional collaboration in order to help our patients. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I said at the beginning, doulas are not medical professionals. Uh, I don't care where you train. If you're a doula, you are not a medical professional unless you have gone to school to be a nurse or to be a doctor or you are a doula is something you did prior. Um, your role as a doula is nothing medical. We don't take blood pressure. We don't catch babies unless it's an emergency situation, in which case we have insurance. Um, I tell my clients I will call 911 before I even, no thank you, no thank you. Paramedics, you can do it. Um, (laughs) Nurses, it's all you, girl, it's all you. Uh, We don't do anything medical. Our role is to be a constant and um, unbiased support person um, that's educated. We, so... For example, if we're at home and they're laboring at home, I'm the highest level highest level of care, if you want to even put it that way. Right. Um, I'm the most educated person in that space. That's why I have insurance, because if that baby arrives before paramedics get there before or before we get to the hospital, um, I, I uh, what's the word? What's the, the uh, Good Samaritan law? Oh, yes. doesn't apply because we're trained. Interesting. Okay. Yes, does not. A con- and even a contract will not will not save you. Um, you you must maintain good insurance because we put ourselves into those situations right. as a support person, right? Does not make us medical professionals. Right. Um, but we often, we're, we are so passionate about what we do, and part of our training is physiological birth. Like, we were mm-hmm. trained in how it works and how um, what needs to happen, and um, so we do have some, we have education, we're just not trained to do the medical things, right? Um, so like the IV drips, the inductions, yeah. the, yeah, you know, things yes. like that, right? Yes. The, so the medical pain control, the... Oh, yeah. I will not push uh, fentanyl. Mm-mm. Nope. <laughs> Mm-mm. I will not touch the IV pole. Like, I will not. It's not my job. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not even looking at it. In a, I might look at, like, sometimes when we're laboring, it's long, and I'll be like, oh, what does that number mean? <laughs> Just six. checking it out. Yeah. <laughs> And it starts beeping, and I'm like, "Oh no!" Oh, well, yeah, God, exactly. Um, they're so fast at Red Deer; like they are just they they're lovely. Um, or the I can I can look at a a, a tracing right. of a of a you know of the baby and see, oh yeah, that was a contraction, and that's those are the D cells and everything. I couldn't read it past that. Right. Um, so, and kind of where the line blurs a little bit is you mentioned inductions. So. I am educated on what an induction is, the methods of induction, the benefits, the risks, the alternatives, what that does. I know that oxytocin that your body makes is different from pitocin that we put or mm-hmm. asinto or how whatever you want to. Some I think a lot of nurses call it oxytocin as well. Um, it's different. It's synthetic, mm-hmm. so asinto. Um, I know that it's different. 
but I'm still not qualified to say whether or not we should use it necessarily. Okay. Um, it comes back to patient choice. I can educate my client and let them know that, okay, so your doctor, um, so we're having a conversation with the doctor in the room. They're like, yeah, so your contractions look to have stalled. Um, and we can get into like it's mm-hmm. the the actual ACOG or ca- Canadian um, College of Gynecology's definition for stalled labor. I go over with that with them prenatally. It's a lot of prenatal education. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say that 12 more times when we're done here. Um, but uh, the doctor comes in. I'm, you know, your labor seems to have stalled. You've been at six centimeters with mm-hmm. adequate contractions um, for for six hours or however long, six seven hours, um, and we're not seeing any change. There's no dilation. You're not more effaced. That's the definition of stalled labor. Um, so we're going to int- we would like to, and it's in the language, uh, in do use cinto or pitocin to get your contractions going um, stronger, or sometimes it's breaking their water. Those are medical things I'm not doing. Right. However, um, I can, I'm an educated professional in the space that can, that my client trusts and that I, I followed their pregnancy. We've had lots of conversations. Um, They're going to, I'm not giving them the answer, but I'm going to go through brain with them. I'm going to mm-hmm. say, listen, we're, we're all of us are here to help you. Um, would you like to do Pitocin? Is there anything else you want to try? We talked about maybe changing positions. Have mm-hmm. you been laying down? Why don't we try that? Do we have time? Yes. Oh, look, we're not. No, baby's doing fine. You're doing fine. You've yeah. got some time. What would you like to do? So my role isn't to direct the birth space. Um, and I think that there's a common misconception that doulas are like, we come in and now it's our space and now we're the ones, you know, nurses are there to do their medical stuff, but like we're, we're the big dogs on campus. Absolutely not. Um, I'm often, I love, I love chatting with nurses and cause I find nurses have that same passion for what they do. It's just a different, it's yeah. just the same space, but in it's a different, different space. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I can't do what a nurse does. And, and it's helpful to me to have that medical professional there to back up that, you know what, maybe Simpsonto is a good idea or maybe breaking water is a good idea. Here are the medical benefits that maybe I can't explain as well. Um, or, you know, it, it, collaboration is just so, it benefits the client because now they've got two people that are on their team right. in different spaces. Right. Um, so where my role ends is where anything medical begins. Um, and, and it depends on the client, right? Like I've been supporting pushing and we get to crowning and mom's freaking out because like it's the ring of fire and <laughs> I call it vagina time. Um, <laughs> we're, just, we're just stretching that tissue. We're just going to let it stretch. But mom's, mom's having an emotional reaction and, and, and has, I've seen moms like, and, and birthing people in general, just like they kind of lose it. And nurses have this, like, I don't know what it is, but they have this way of just getting in there and being really like serious and direct and direct and direct. That's the word I was looking yeah. for because as a doula, I'm, I'm emotionally connected to my client. I'm unbiased, but like we've been talking and I have, yes. like, we have these hopes for their birth and I'm kind of like a partner in that sense, right. a little bit more removed, but you know, it happens. You're meeting my client for the first time, probably on your shift. You might be leaving in three hours and they have this ability to just be direct and say, listen, um, we're all here to help you, but you need to push this baby out right now. Coming from me, I could say that, mm-hmm. but the the ability for them just to do it because they do it all the time, mm-hmm. and it's just they have this calmness about it. That's mm-hmm. like I'm not. They're not freaking out because 
that's they see this every day. Mm-hmm. I see it way less, right? So it sometimes helps me if I know that if the nurses aren't freaking out, I'm fine. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I do remember a nurse saying that to me while I was giving birth with one of my kids. I remember them looking at me and saying, their heart rate is starting to slow down. Mm-hmm. You need to push, mm-hmm. like really push. Mm-hmm. And just like the look on their face and yeah. that direct statement, I was like, I got to do this. Yeah. yeah. Like bring it on. Yeah. I'm yeah. gonna, I'm gonna, do, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna like do this, <laughs> yeah. And, I got it. Yeah, you know? and, and the interesting thing, I was like, oh, you're really serious. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and 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 really, um, you know how um, the there's that hierarchy of um, when you're in a position of power, the influence that you have in the birth space. Um, nurses have uh, a, more hierarchy than a doula does because they're a medical professional. Right. Um, anybody going into the hospital, whether it's conscious or not, they are going to recognize a nurse or a doctor telling them to do something um, more than their partner or you know grandma who's also there for the birth right. for some reason, or even their doula. Doulas also have to be careful because doulas are also recognized as a we have a position of power. We are more educated. We are hired. We work for our clients. Um, to support them in birth, we are more edu- like we, we have yeah. the education. So, um, what I like about that and what the benefits to that are is you, as nurses and doctors, that you when you, when it's used correctly, that position of power of saying, "Listen, um, exactly what you just said. Yeah. Um, you need the baby's heart rate is dropping. You need to push now." As a doula, I can say the same words. But it might have a different impact. Right. Um, and so it's kind of, if we're working together well, knowing who the client is going to hear that best from is also kind of the key. So if we're at odds, if we're not working well together because I feel like I should, my client's looking more to the nurses than they are to me, that's an ego thing. Right. Um, or and, and vice versa, nurses sometimes have the same um, situation. I always say that when your ego comes into the birth space, it will automatically have a more negative impact on the client than any than anything you do or don't do. Mm-hmm. Um, leave your ego outside the birth space. That goes for doulas and nurses and doctors. It's not about you. Um, as a nurse, you have the medical training and you can you do your thing, absolutely. Like you're there, everyone's there to support the client, not to bolster their ego. Yeah. So, so when you go in to a birth in the hospital and you, because I'm sure, I know you've been there a lot, so I'm sure you have nurses that mm-hmm. you work with that are very familiar to you. Mm-hmm. Um, how, when you go in to work with someone that you have never worked before, how do you establish those roles? Like, do you sit down and have a, you know, do you kind of have like a conversation or like, mm-hmm. you know, how do you clarify kind of right off the bat what those roles are going to be and why you're there? And, you know, so yeah. say say it's even one of our new graduates, right, yeah. that have never worked with a doula before. How would you mm-hmm. approach that in order to clarify those roles? Uh you know, that's a really interesting question because I've never actually had a, like, I've never actually done that where I've been like, okay, listen, this is my role, this is your role, and we're just going to stay on our sides of the court, yeah. right? Because um, I, as a, and this is just how I work, but I, um, I will take a more vocal, like, I'll be more vocal about what I'm doing. Okay. Um, I'm always speaking to my client. I'm not, but I... I like introduce yourself and yes. be like they are people. You're a nurse. You're doing your job. I'm a doula. I'm doing my job. But you're a person, and you are passionate about what you do. And I'm a person. I'm passionate about what I do. So you know, I say hi. I'm Rebecca. I'm the doula. Um, and then when we get to situations where there's a decision that has to be made, or my client's asking a question, like um, some nurses are really fast on the answers, and they're like, yeah. "Yeah, like, oh yeah, and this is that," and like I might add to something they say. I'm never contradicting them, but I might um, 
just I don't I want to what's the word like not showcase a little bit yeah if I feel like my client needs more information it's not it's really not a who yeah. knows more war again that ego just shove it out the door um, but it kind of taking a more hands-on role sometimes I have to read the room like I have to if that nurse is there I've worked with nurses who are doulas and who who um, are on L&D because that's where they love to be and they just love the medical side so they decided yeah. they would be doulas and um, it's so cool to to have that like we still have our clear roles but I find that you don't know you don't find that stuff out until you talk to them mm -hmm. until you like work in the space with them if I notice that this nurse is just on it and she's just like my client is comfortable with them mm -hmm. and my client is gravitating to them I'm not gonna interrupt that mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not gonna it's not about me mm -hmm. so um, I don't know if that really answers your question but no it does and I think I think in general for for nurses or say new grads or whoever is going to the maternity it's just being aware of the different roles that that come in with people while they're giving birth right and whether that's the doula or a midwife or mm -hmm. whatever the case is or a support person or Definitely. you know a best friend's mother or something like that right <laughs> like just recognizing that there is value there for the client yeah um, yeah, and, and I think that's the important part is just really recognizing the value that you bring with your client as well yeah. um, from a nursing point of view, right? Yeah. We are there. We are there to help. We are there yes. to do whatever we need to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that is part of our patient-centered and, and family-centered mm -hmm. care as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Is incorporating all those things, putting value into mm -hmm. what the patient values. Yeah, definitely. So, absolutely. Like, yeah. and I, I love that so much. That's it's about the patient. It's about the client. Yeah, and it's, that's something like we talk about with our students all the time. Is that mm -hmm. it? Really, you don't have to agree with the patient, nope. but just recognize that there's value there. Yeah. You know, if there's value, I always think like you know, if somebody's laying in their bed all the time and they have value in music. Let's yeah. put value in that, in yeah. their care, right? Like Absolutely. That, if they value seeing their grandkids, let's make that happen. If they, for Pete's sakes, I've had patients that have such a strong value in their pets yes. that it's like, let's get you outside in any way, shape, or form we can so that you can see your dog or yeah. your cat or your whatever it is, right? Absolutely. Or your hedgehog or whatever the heck yeah. you want to see. But like <laughs> goldfish. <laughs> yeah, goldfish you could probably bring into the hospital, to be honest. <laughs> Just bring it in Just a little bag. Yeah. yeah, no kidding. Yeah, <laughs> that's absolutely. awesome. Yeah. So, like, oh, sorry. No, no. I was just gonna say, like, I'm just gonna add on that. Like, in in labor and birth, like, we know that birth is not. It's a. It's not a medical event. Like, it's actually just a physiological thing that happens. It doesn't necessarily need medical intervention all the time. Um, so in, and and at the same time, medical intervention saves lives in birth. So it's, it kind of meshes together. Um, but if everything's going well. Um, then introducing music or introducing uh, like making changes to the space um, into the environment that maybe not are, aren't medical um, can have such amazing benefits to the to actually the process of birth. You're going to get out of there a lot faster. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> no if we turn right? off that bright light, that's the top yeah. of the bed. That's so, it's like yeah. it's all these little things you don't really think about, right? That yeah. really can make a big impact. Definitely. And if you've only ever worked in the hospital as nurses, like nurses don't do home birth. So if you've never seen it from the other side, or or maybe you've never had children or whatever, or it doesn't it doesn't really matter. Like it's it's really just really interesting yeah. how yeah yeah I love it. So do you have? I wonder if you could just shed some light on maybe an experience that you've had where your interprofessional collaboration was really well done and how mm -hmm. it impacted your 
the the client care yeah. and how it impacted the, the outcome? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I've had I've had so few bad experiences, but one that comes to mind that was just probably my favorite birth mm-hmm. ever was a birth that I attended where the at the hospital where the do a nurse was a doula. And she had just, she had trained, like she'd been a nurse slash doula for like 30 years. So she was like really experienced and just being able to, um, it was, it was like, we didn't really need to say anything because we were so focused on the client that it didn't become about, um, what I know and what you know, and like, what are we, did you make that suggestion? Are we going to try your suggestion or my suggestion? It was just, it was just this beautiful cacophony of, um, suggestions being made and care being given and just us coming around this patient who and go went on to have it was a 16 hour birth a second baby which is like well it's within the range of normal I guess um but she she's like you know she said to me afterwards she said like you know it was it just felt like I was so cared for by everybody and everyone was there for me and I was just I would do that all over again um and it wasn't particular it wasn't a particularly easy experience but she had a blast which you is know, weird. and that's the feedback you want <laughs> at the end of the day, right? That's the feedback that you want. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I, I want to know that, my regardless of the outcome, regardless of if you push for three minutes or if you push for, for six hours or you go on to have a section or however that baby enters this world, my main focus is it's not just healthy mom, healthy baby. Um, it's how did you, how what was your experience like? Did you feel supported? Did you feel held? Did you feel like you you could make you could say what you needed to say and make the decisions you needed to make? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when when uh, professional collaboration is done well, that always always happens. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so have you had a time where and I'm sure, like you said I know you mentioned you had a couple, but have you mm-hmm. had a time where? it did not go as well or 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 what are the barriers to it not going well yeah so i said it i've already said it it's ego is yeah. the number one it's rarely that the person doesn't know what they're doing uh because you guys train for so much longer than we do mm-hmm. your courses are so much longer and you have to do <laughs> way more math than i do um so congratulations to you guys like kudos because i ain't doing it that's why i'm a doula to be honest no, no. <laughs> I went. I was gonna become a midwife, and was like, "Oh, there's statistics. No thanks. There's math. In there's that, math yeah. in that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, it it always comes down to ego. And I'm, I had this one. I'm th- just thinking of this now. I had this experience uh, with this um, family. Mom was particularly anxious, and um, wasn't. And she was. Her demeanor wasn't super friendly. Um, she was very abrupt and very like she knew what she wanted and and that's fine. Like yeah. I'm not, I'm not we don't have to be best friends necessarily. We worked well together, so yeah. that's fine. Um, and we had this one nurse. She was lovely, like but very green. I know I've attended more. I had attended at that time had attended more births than she had because we had a little chat before. Like we were like in early labor, yeah. like everyone's chatty and we just talk about the random stuff. Um, so she's very green and she made a comment about how first-time moms, first-time pregnant people and birthing people always need Pitocin. They are never able to do it on their own. Your body isn't able. That's why you're at the hospital. And when I tell you my eyes bugged out of my head hearing this from this nurse, and I remember thinking, and she was sweet otherwise, like yeah. there, but... And then I started to notice she was leaning really heavily on, on what I'm certain was from a textbook. And we know textbook is yeah. only a saying. Like, nothing is really textbook. Yeah. And 
she, I just noticed my clients start to um, doubt the work we had already done that had alleviated her fear. And she went on to push for, I think she pushed for like eight or nine hours thinking, um, can you give, like, I need, I need more Pitocin. I need more, like, I'm not, I'm not able to do this. I'm not able to do this. And I don't, I don't think it was specifically that nurse's comment that, but I noticed a change in my client. And, and I never, I don't, I never ever contradict a healthcare professional in the birth space. It's not, it's not. It's not destructive. It's not destructive. Yeah. So, um, that would I made an exception in that time, and in the hopes that my client would be like, would and maybe it wasn't the best decision, but I said no, that's not true. Absolutely not. I attend births all the time where mom births. Yeah. I've birthed my babies without pitocin. My first was born without Cinto. So, I just I I don't know what the disconnect was. I don't know if she had maybe she maybe she, yeah she was she was new maybe she hadn't she had obviously yeah. didn't have the same experience. Um, but then after that also she seemed less um, willing to hear my to or to heed mm-hmm. my professional um, abilities and um, she kept getting kind of kept getting in the way of me and my client and and that. And then again, that kind of irritates me. And we're all like, we're human yeah. beings, right? So um, you're kind of like, oh, this is yeah. getting a bit tense. Yeah, this and the is... tension, right? Like, I'm a super lovely person. <laughs> um, I will, like, I'm kind and I'm not, you can you can make, you could call me all kinds of names and I'm not going to, like, whatever. I'm here for my client. So you can think I'm a complete idiot. I don't care. It's my client that I met, that care, yeah. or that, that I matter to. Um, but I was, it, it, it put a certain tension in the, in the room. And then her partner was less like, he was less chatty and less like he was more nervous. Cause he's like, Oh my gosh, who do we like, who do we trust in this space? Yeah. Like it's okay to have professional differences in your opinion. Yeah. And certainly if, if you've only ever attended births where Pitocin first time parents got Pitocin and that's just how it went, then it's not necessarily like that statement still isn't true, but I can't say whether or not that's your experience. Only right. you can. So just making sure that I don't know. It just wasn't constructive. Like it. It sounds like it sounds like the the therapy. There there was almost like a breakdown in that therapeutic communication mm-hmm. to to the patient. Right. Like so even when you are discussing with them what the outcome could be or things yeah. like that. You know like. Writing one story for them mm-hmm. is, I think, like you said, very non-constructive yeah. in terms of this is what is going to happen to you, knowing that very well people aren't textbook, right? Yeah. So <laughs> I think I think in terms of, I, I think this is a really good point in terms of like how we go about saying things, um, you know, how, yeah, and like how we actually discuss what we want to do and how we want to do it and, and using the words that are going to be beneficial to not only the client, but... Yeah. To us as professionals as well to maintain those those open relationships. Yeah, definitely. Because it, it's not um, and I understand as nurses like that there's there are protocols and there are things that you know for sure you attend enough births, you know for sure. And I know this because I attend enough births, right? Like yeah. um and you like I'm gonna say like a lot too. My brain is starting to like <laughs> my brain of thoughts like, no, we're going over here now. Um 
I, as a doula, I never, ever, ever want to go into the birth space and discredit anybody in that space right. and what they know or don't know. Um, I, I always take an attitude of openness, and I think that if all of our uh, healthcare professionals, if everybody in that space can just have an attitude of openness to not just to the other person's knowledge, but to the, their personalities, the client's personality, like how the client's interacting, observe more than you speak is kind of one of my mottos because I love to talk. So I have to remind myself, no, no, watch. Observe. Listen. Listen. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've I've been in, in so many situations where I know that if I had just gone in and done what I thought should be done or what I always do, that wouldn't have benefited my client. So mm-hmm. I always try to read the room and see how's everybody interacting. If I like I said, if I notice that my client is gravitating towards the nurse and is looking to this one nurse and they're vibing and they're just they have this good relationship i will do everything in my power to keep that going i always get sad when they're like okay it's the end of my shift i'm like no <laughs> don't go anywhere <laughs> I'm, I'm enjoying sitting over here playing candy crush while you're doing things. <laughs> that's so funny <laughs> right yeah just um it's we're a team yeah and i think yeah i just Oh, that just makes it makes me happy to talk about it because yeah. I love nurse. I always brag about our nurses. I love them. I, I really do think we have the best labor and delivery nurses as well. We I agree. Do. Yeah. I've never had a bad experience no. with anybody on L and D. So no, right? Like, yeah. and I wouldn't even say I had bad experiences, yeah. which is why it's kind of hard to answer that question, even because yeah. I'm like everybody's just doing their job, and and so in birth is like crazy. So. Um, I, I, yeah, I love the focus on working together more and, um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you. Well, I'm just going to refer quickly back to this, uh, competency framework that I talked about. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the descriptors, when we talk about actually implementing interprofessional collaboration, which a lot of it we have touched on, um, is describing their own role and that of others. Uh, the other one is recognizing and respecting the diversity of other health and social care roles, mm-hmm. their responsibilities and their competencies. So I think as nurses, that's really important to recognize is that there are multiple other people that are going to be able to complement our patient care and really come mm-hmm. with the best patient outcomes. Um, communication, we touched on that as a really big <laughs> one, like being able to openly mm-hmm. communicate with each other. Um, and I think just um, considering the roles in others sorry, the roles of others in determining your own role. So, you know, if I fully understand what your role is, then I can fully understand where my role is and and how you're supporting the client and how I'm supporting the client. Mm -hmm. Um, And ideally, it's gonna it's gonna be transformed into this very like seamless delivery, right? Of healthcare yes. services, like you talked about in that first experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just kind of that ability to to go in and just have this wonderful, patient centered, collaborative yeah. experience. Yeah, that's holistic. Like I think yeah. of holistic care, and I love the term patient centered care because yeah. that takes the pressure off me actually because it's not about me, it's about my yeah. client. Um, but doulas specifically have we have a more holistic training. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, we have no medical training, so there you go. <laughs> so it's all uh, holistic. It's all holistic. <laughs> but, but we bring, specifically to the hospital, we bring things that you don't necessarily have or know um, or like have experience doing. You might know it, but you don't have experience doing it. Like um, uh, like 
different labor positions or um, uh, I don't rotate babies, but mm-hmm. love spinning babies. Like a lot of doulas will bring that knowledge and that training into the birth space. That's incredibly beneficial when you've got a baby who's OP and yeah. and mom's having a lot of pain or baby's stuck in a certain way. Like we, we have that knowledge. We know how to fix yeah. some of these things that otherwise medically are, well, that's a section. We can't do anything medically about that mm-hmm. um, that we know of anyways. And um, yeah, so... I love that we can bring it into these spaces and just have the best outcomes possible for our clients. Well, really, our goals are the same, yeah. right? Our goals yes. are the same. Like when we actually look at what we want, we are our the goal same is race. the same. We're just doing it in different ways, yeah. right? So, Absolutely. oh man, well, thank you so much, Rebecca, for coming and talking to us today. Yeah. Um, I cannot wait for the students to hear this. I think it's going to be an excellent learning opportunity for yeah. them. Um, would you be open if I listed your email in the podcast descriptor yeah. in case uh, students ever have questions about your role or are interested in asking okay. you about your profession or... Absolutely. Would you be okay with that? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Okay. Well, again, thank you so much. Uh, I've really appreciated having you here and and hearing about your job and your insights. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Like, absolutely amazing. Awesome. (laughs) Well, thank you. All right, everyone. Until next time.